So okay, so what am I what am I looking for? Here? So you so, so you're at one forty, you're at one forty, and I'll do I'll do three, two, one, play. Okay. 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 So three, yep. two, one, play. Okay. Okay. So I've got uh, what is that British champion on the front? Yeah, there's there? Peter Kenayach on the front, and then okay, we got the the sprint launching here. There's okay. someone on edX is leading it out, and Viviani kind of launches on the right side. Greipel. Oh yeah. Oh, Greipel's just coming over to his left and just really. He just comes wow. over pretty hard. And then there's a little bit, and hard. it's funny because it doesn't really look like Greipel with the foreshortening. It doesn't look like Greipel is in front of Viviani, but as soon as like their elbows no. overlap, you realize that he is. Yeah, and really pushed him pretty hard toward the barriers. Now it's not super obvious why. You know, like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily look. I don't know. Like a lot of times, you can see someone's like taking someone to the barriers. But he just really he sure. just kind of launches so something that you see sometimes is like the barriers squiggling and someone's riding straight and the barrier squiggles. Well, that's clearly not them. happening. It doesn't look like that's happening. He he's launching and he's really coming like out of the line quite a bit, you know. And yeah. and people do that, you know, they they launch and, and out of the had lead to out. Really stop pedaling and kind of lean on him a bit. Yeah, I think Viviani had no no recourse there. Greipel no. kind of looks different. That's interesting though that Viviani didn't even you know he didn't even resort to like the angry or hand wave he just kind of he had a he had a grimace. Oh, he certainly wasn't pleased. No. Oh, well. Yeah. So hey, well, we're the working man's honest bicycle program. Yeah, um, I guess we're doing a show about something. So I'm Greg. I'm Matteo, and this is a show about bike racing today. Yeah, we're we're just watching a little video from uh, Stage Eight in the Tour of Britain, where there was a bit of an incident in the final sprint. Yeah, Andre Greipel uh, won the sprint, but the commissaires ruled that he came over a bit too hard on Ilya Viviani, and uh, they did cute him. I don't know. Some of these things are always interesting for me to yeah to mull over and think about because cycling has really fungible rules. Road cycling in particular. Expl sort of explain what you mean by that. It's like the rule about a sprint is that you can't deviate from your line and in doing so endanger somebody else. Right. Yeah. But people can get dinged in a sprint for not deviating from their line but endangering somebody. What constitutes deviating from your line is unclear. What constitutes endangering somebody else is unclear. It's all of these things that are very much judgment calls. It's not like, oh, so and so stepped out of bounds. They're out. Yeah, they're vague and, and, and they're kind of vague on purpose, I, I think. Yeah. That's my take on it. So so in this case, I don't know. Um, we were just watching this and, and it's it's just one of those funny things where, uh, you know, uh, Viviani is kind of, Viviani's kind of sprinting up the outside of the group and. Uh, Greipel is on his his leadout's wheel, and it's it's you know it's always a little hard to tell what's going on in a situation like this because because uh, as as you were saying when we were talking through it, there's a lot of foreshortening that makes it kind of difficult to see the actual relationship of riders to one another in in you know along the z-axis or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so it looks like he's getting kind of swarmed, but he swings way out to his left uh, and kind of gets all up in Viviani's grill and sort of takes him toward the barriers. Yeah. So I don't know. The, the overhead well, shot would really clear up what's going on. And of course, we don't really 
have that yeah. in this video we're watching, which is unfortunate. Uh, overhead shots are so so helpful. The thing, so, the thing though, is that following a line to the barriers is not necessarily a dangerous move. It is just a tactical one. No, yeah, it's. I mean, that's the thing. It's. It's <coughs> like when is it? When is it normal to take someone to the barriers and not? And by you know, there's there's taking someone to the barriers and then there's kind of closing the door. Yeah, yeah. And I sort of don't see them as the same. So taking someone to the barriers can be seen as like a dangerous thing. That's when you actually are are really aggressively closing that door mm-hmm. and you're forcing them to back off and physically, of kind of. Well, instead shutting. of instead of making them reconsider taking that line yeah um and having to back off and go around the other side you're actually maybe physically pushing them into harm's way and but and the difference is like where the difference is where the other rider's front wheel is like whether or not it's kind of even with your bike and body well i mean yes and no you you can i don't know i i feel like you can uh it's so difficult to read intent right like it, it feels like it's supposed totally. to be a difference. Well, it, at least when people talk about closing the door, you know, versus actually making a dangerous move, it feels like a difference of intent. But that's so hard to read for a judge, and you have to assume you have to assume that. Um, I think, you know, in this case, for example, Greipel doesn't want to hurt Viviani. Right. He doesn't want him to crash. Um, and and not, this also was one of those, one of those happens, but... incidents where you know afterward Viviani was like oh you know like Greipel you know doesn't race dirty I know it wasn't like a you know sometimes sprinters argue after races and sometimes they're just like oh yeah no that guy's like kind of my pal like whatever yeah right exactly and, and this was the latter uh, right so so then you end up with him being disqualified despite the fact that uh, you know Viviani was not too bent out of shape about it presumably he was disappointed that he didn't get the win mm-hmm. but but you know not too angry about the whole situation i don't know what did did you think uh did it look like a dirty move to you or just uh sprinting it didn't it didn't look like all? a dirty move but it did look like a wrong move and i think the commissaires made a right a correct decision yeah I think I'll go with you on that because it, it's it's such it's such a big swing, mm-hmm. you know, and that can be an error in judgment, and that's kind of part of what the rules are for. Is like, yeah. hey, buddy, uh, that was a mistake you made. So Sorry. my a, a buddy of mine won a pretty big race on the track uh, about a month ago, and it, it was mm-hmm. he was he was basically sprinting with one other person, and the other person had the sprint lane and came out of it. And my friend's perspective on this was like, you know, it it didn't matter what his intention was. Like, he he stepped out of bounds. You know, in a track, you have to, if you you take the sprint lane when a sprint is engaged, you have to stay in it. And I I think we talked about this. And his attitude was like, you know, he he stepped out of bounds. And that's just the rule. It's pretty clear and it's pretty enforceable. Well, did, did your friend have this win because of a disqualification? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, I was uh, wasn't sure. That, I don't, I'm not sure if you said that clearly. Yeah, I told so, half the story. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that on a track, it might be at least in that case a little more straightforward, though, mm-hmm. because you have the sprint lane. Yeah, and and honestly, on any given track, uh, it's it's sort of much more obvious what the lines are because you have 
corners that should be pretty familiar to you by the time you get to a sprint. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you have straights that, you know, don't really change width over their length. So it, it's a more predictable environment. And, and as you were mentioned, mentioning, you know, sometimes the barriers are kind of wibbly wobbly. And there was, I think, the famous case that comes to mind is in a sprint in the 2009 uh, Tour de France where uh, Mark Cavendish, I think, got relegated for allegedly pinching uh, Tor Hushoft into the barriers. And, and what Cavendish said was that the barriers actually came into the course. Yeah, that is definitely what, and I, was, he sprinted, what I was thinking. And then he sprinted in a straight line. That was also and, and that, that, also, was, that was during like peak anti-Cavendish sentiment. That was peak anti during peak anti Cavendish sentiment, yes. So, but but that also kind of reveals sort of the problematic ambiguity of holding your line. You know, do you hold like literally a straight? You know, if you were to kind of uh, <laughs> uh, draw a trace of your path behind you, is is it straight, <laughs> or or does holding a line mean relative to the curb? Uh, <laughs> You know, and that doesn't seem to make sense because what if there's a corner in the sprint or right before it, as happens? Mm -hmm. uh, you're not supposed to stay parallel to the uh, curb in a corner, or at least you shouldn't, because if you're if you're doing that, you're cornering very badly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't seem super. It, it seems, if not, you know, maybe not dirty in this case that it was um, ill-advised. So, so I don't know. Where where are we where are we going? I guess the question is. Well, here's, well, yeah, you go, you go. That's cool. Well, well, so is there, how does, does this come up in your racing? Like, is, are, are there people you think that tend to conspicuously race dirty or, or race cleanly? And, you know, do, it's always hard to tell a clean, what? like a, like a, a clean end upstanding racer and we actually had a thing about this you know earlier in the summer when like someone came down on me in a race and like immediately sort of apologized for it and was like oh yeah the officials made the right call relegating me and it was just it was just like a really nice interaction sort of free mm -hmm. of the hot-headedness that one can occasionally have in a race yeah. and after a race i think i've definitely seen in over the years some people who just absolutely get a reputation for Riding their bike in a way that forces other people to deal with the consequences. Yeah. And, like, there's no... I mean, maybe there is. I don't really know. Someone write in and tell us. Is there a rule of, like, not in a sprint of basically taking someone to the curb or, like, shutting the door in a way that really forces, like, someone else to hit the brakes? And, you know, doing it fast is dangerous. Doing it medium to slow is just kind of saying, hey, you need to get out of this area. I, I am taking this spot and you're going to have to back off. And like, you know, that's, that's bike racing. But I think, yeah, I've definitely come across riders who have a reputation for, for raising a lot of eyebrows as people think they are definitely going to cause a serious crash one day because they don't, they yeah. don't know when to stop. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've had riders like that. Uh, both, you know, I've raced in a, in a couple of places. I've raced in New England and I've raced in, um, the, the South, particularly in Tennessee. And yeah, in both places we've had 
riders who garner reputations. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to say about that because in, in there's some, it's, it seems, oh boy, this is getting into, uh, I'm, I'm treading on, on dangerous ground here. Um, it seems that there's more of a reputation for, I, I won't say dirty, but for, um, let's say, aggressive um, racing tactics among mm-hmm. riders who've been doing it for longer. Uh, it seems that it seems that the sport was much more kind of rough and ready uh, back in like the 1980s and the 1990s, and it's mostly a that it's cleaned up a lot, really, hmm. in terms of that kind of behavior. Well, you know, not only in terms of behavior on the bike, but uh, apparently people would like get in fights in parking lots. <laughs> well, there are stories. <laughs> after races. There are definitely stories, and that's that's less of a thing than it used to be, mm-hmm. which um, is good because, but, you know, yeah, it, I think it is good. But that said, you know, there there definitely have have been those riders um, who have a reputation for either just sometimes the reputation is it's it's not really clear whether this rider is um, just kind of crazy and and not paying attention, uh, or, or there's some people that people know riders that that aren't kind of known for being a little crazy and getting excited um, yes and uh, not necessarily uh, paying as much attention as they should but who are non-malicious and then there's the riders who are have the reputation for being malicious mm-hmm. uh and and kind of willfully endangering people uh and and the the, the difficulty here is that I, I i don't really feel like naming names <laughs> so right it's 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 difficult to go further than that i it's also tricky because you have riders who come in who have difficulty in who who think any closing of the door or whatever is is dirty play mm-hmm. uh, and this is kind of relates to the the people shouting inside mm-hmm. and that we've talked about before where p- people think that they have a right to a desired line just because they want it right and that doesn't that doesn't account for the fact that like the field around you is going somewhere yeah exa- exactly or 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 that you know the the people in front of you have control over a lot of the situation yeah uh i mean it just happened to be this weekend actually um i mean this was like in a cyclocross race this kind of stuff also comes up where uh, I mean, the perfect case, the perfect example where this happens is like, you know, the the scrub zone of the 3-4 race on the first <laughs> lap. I mean, there's going to be shenanigans. It's, there's going to be shenanigans. It's crazy back there. And right now I'm spending a lot of time back there because um, <laughs> I I don't have uh, particularly, thanks to some, some poor results in the past, uh, I'm having to dig myself out of a hole as far as call-ups. <laughs> which mm-hmm. is exciting and you know at one point early early on i was taking uh, there was a, a 180 and um, i knew people were going to come up and try and take the inside and i i moved over to protect it and as i'm moving over to protect it i can see someone starting to come up on my wheel and i'm like well i'm closing this door um and i get kind of like a hey 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 and then he rides himself into the <laughs> <laughs> into the tape into the post mm-hmm. and you know as i as i ride away i hear someone complaining about how he got taken to the tape or whatever um you know with my perspective on that and maybe um but my perspective on that is i closed that door before you were next to me yeah 
<laughs> like, if you keep, you know, it's like the guy who calls inside or outside and you hold your line and they almost go into the curb and then they get mad at you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, so, so there's, it gets confusing. Um, but once you're kind of among more people who are experienced and, and, uh, and that's not to say that I haven't done stupid things. I tried to make another pass, um, later in that same race it was extremely ill-advised mm-hmm. uh so i i'm not claiming that um i've never done anything wrong uh, what i did actually this is just kind of it's funny because it hurts um uh, we were in we were in a wood section and this was far enough in it was like the third lap that there weren't tons of people around and there was this one rider in front of me who i knew i was going to be passing and as we come up to this turn, I think, oh, I'll take the inside line and just pass him. And, and I totally commit to the pass and realize as I'm doing it um, that I can't actually make the pass, that there isn't, that that with my current line, I'm just going to come into him because he's come pretty tight to the inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead of backing off, <laughs> I, I doubled down. You just double down. <laughs> I doubled down. Greg, you got to know when to hold them, and you got to know when to fold them. <laughs> yeah, I should have folded them. It was it was really bad because when because doubling down and like, well, I'll just take my line even tighter. Well, this this might be okay um, when the course tape is being held in place by like a plastic stake. In this case, the course tape was wrapped around a pretty sturdy young tree, uh, <laughs> and I took my line through the tree. <laughs> whoops yeah which first of all uh that tree i thought it might give way a little bit it did not <laughs> <laughs> so that hurt and then i bounced off of him anyway mm-hmm. um which he did not appreciate <laughs> <laughs> and then i apologized and fled the scene as quickly as possible <laughs> did you flee the scene uh, forward or backwards i fled the scene forward. you gotta clear the datum <laughs> yeah you just gotta get out of there yeah. so you know uh mistakes happen and whatever but then but but hopefully you don't want to garner a reputation as someone who's constantly making you know air quotes mistakes yeah but and then Uh, that's the thing especially about cyclocross is that someone who's gonna pass you like they're they're gonna pass you and also people who are good enough like they just they're not scrambling to make the pass they just do it like faster than you as soon as there's room you know and that's the thing to like to to like scrub zone style racing which you know yeah i've been there the only reason that i'm not there is because i just do less cross but like it yeah it's a it's a desperation thing like if you pass somebody badly if you're like the situation that you described you know it's like you made that pass because you made like the wrong decision and you weren't like strong enough to do it more cleanly somewhere else well the thing is the the thing that kills me is in in that case uh that i I was strong enough to make the pass later and more cleanly. Mm-hmm. You know, there was another turn coming up very short <laughs> uh-huh. you just, where you just I could have picked the wrong time. I picked the wrong time. I could have waited thirty seconds. You know, this was not someone who was racing on the same level as me. Okay, so it's like, uh, that's embarrassing. So you know, it's we can all be dirty from time to time, um, but but the I think what matters is is there a pattern? Yeah. You know, the, I don't know be good to each other out there be good to each other and it's also you know like you make a mistake you own up to it and if a lot of different people realize something about the way that you ride like you might you might want to open up your ears yeah right well this is kind of like the thing where um 
you know, if someone is, uh, you know, on your way to work, whatever, so if someone's a jerk to you, then uh, they're a jerk. But if everyone is a jerk to you, um, maybe you're the jerk. <laughs> there might be a certain <laughs> uh, common denominator. Right, exactly. What What is the... Uh, <laughs> exactly. What's, what's the deal? Yeah, what's the common factor in all of these interactions? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, the thing is, I can tell individual stories about about people, but um, let's. I think that's a dangerous road. Uh, I just, I'm just, yeah, I'm just so itchy to talk about whole shot Moses, but I, I think I'm gonna maybe I'll avoid that. Uh, we had a we had a whole shot Moses incident on Sunday. Uh, whole shot, whole <laughs> but, shot Moses. That's so shot. funny. <laughs> I like the so, term. I'm just gonna... <laughs> Yeah, you know what? That's probably enough said because I think I've talked about this enough in real life to my friends. But God, I know I don't know who exactly you're talking about, but you say whole shot Moses, and I start thinking about who I know. <laughs> it's sort of I hope it invokes the the right image of of someone kind of just charging through with no regard <laughs> for the human uh, the human bodies in their path. Yep. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, bike racing. Whole shot bike Moses. Racing, bike racing. So, hey, speaking All of right. bike racing, I really want to talk about Tom Dumoulin for a second and the Vuelta. Yeah, OPS yeah, thing, let's yeah. move on to that. I, I feel like I've been rambling a little bit about stupid passes in cyclocross. Tom Dumoulin. Who's Tom Dumoulin? Tom Dumoulin is a uh, Dutchman on Team Giant Alpecin who, like, oh, man, he's a time trialist, right? And just, That's what I hear. just had this amazing Vuelta where... You know, time trialing and climbing have their similarities. You need to be able to put down a lot of power for a long time. Um, he just kind of managed to stay close to the top of the GC in the Vuelta until he, like, crushed everybody in the time trial. And then it was like he had one more climbing day to defend his red jersey against Fabio Aru, who was six seconds behind him. Yeah. And as he tweeted later on, this year, the Vuelta was one day too long for me. Oh, so painful. It, so painful. I think, so he wound up finishing sixth, three minutes and 46 seconds down. Oh. I actually, I turned on the stage this weekend, that stage, and like they, they cut to commercial, and then when they came back, the announcers were losing their heads because they were like, Aru has attacked Dumoulin, you know, they're, they're cresting this hill. This climb, they've got 20 seconds. Aru has a group with him. He's got two teammates with him or something. Dumoulin is chasing alone. The red jersey is on the line. It was it was nuts. It was crazy. It was super exciting. And, like, yeah, yeah, it was just really something. It was really something. And also, you know, Dumoulin kind of, like, he had this great stage victory where he kept on attacking up this four-kilometer climb. That was just super steep. Super steep. I think it was stage 10, stage 11. And uh, he wound up, you know, gapping all of the climbers. And then Froome made his way up to him and dropped him. And then in the final, like, couple hundred meters as it's leveling out, Dumoulin, like, has another surge and comes by Froome on the line. Just, like, ridiculous, gritty, don't-give-up racing. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I so I I'll confess I haven't really watched the vault this year. Yeah, um, too burned out on the racing. But I've been I've been following at least 
the news of what's going on and it's uh man it, it seems like it's just been kind of exciting and everyone's been rooting for this you know he's what 23 years old yeah this young kid um who's who's kind of having his coming out party and um and the question was can he hang on can he hang on can he hang on and and it was really starting to look like he could uh and then it was just one day one day too long so that's i mean that's isn't that just what you want to see in a bike race (laughs) it was such good racing you know yeah and it's you know and it's it's heartbreaking of course especially because um you know, people don't. People aren't so up on Astana, which is uh, Fabio Aru's team. Mm-hmm. Um, some people aren't so up on Aru himself. Um, I haven't formed a strong opinion on him myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it was. It was. I think it definitely took on uh, the story. Kind of did take on this timber of good versus evil. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Tom Dumoulin is the like handsome the plucky plucky yeah. underdog uh fabio aru as the like ungainly rider for the black hat team yeah. right and just very much out of you know out of a sports movie with the the bad guy oh man oh man according to wikipedia tom dumoulin's nickname is the butterfly of maastricht <laughs> what yeah Cycling nicknames are preposterous. <laughs> and it's like, who comes up with them anyway? Do you remember a few years? You remember Ricardo Rico? Ugh. Yeah. Uh, and how how he wanted, he was insisted on being called Il Cobra. And I'm pretty sure he's the one, like, he came up with this. <laughs> it wasn't like he was dubbed Il Cobra by some journalists. He was like, I am Il Cobra. <laughs> You will refer to me as Il Cobra. That Put not... cobras on all my bike. <laughs> that did not so work. So many out. cobras, and it was. And it actually was like for you know he was. It, this is like 2007. He was like 22 years old or something like that. And it, it was like it was perfect. It was like just what would it? What would a 22 year old kind of fixate oh, on? Oh yeah, I'm the cobra. <laughs> like cobras are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put cobras on everything. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a little bit of a tangent. <laughs> yeah, so good, good Welta, or are you bummed at the end because because uh, Dumoulin lost? You know, it just happened. And it's fine that it happened. It was a good race. Yeah. Well, you know what? This this kid, uh, he's going places. He's going places. I kind of hope gonna, that they. He's going to be okay. He, I kind of hope that they that Giant Opposin doesn't just immediately throw him at the Tour de France. Oh man! You know, like oh, you know, yeah. now that he almost won the Vuelta, let's try and like build his whole next five years around you know a ill-fated attempt at podiuming the Tour, hunt. which is like you know what they kept on doing to who's that other spindly Dutchman? Oh jeez, uh, Hessink. There we go. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Robert Hessink. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's, it's a whole nother discussion, but, but that does, it has a lot to do with sort of how top heavy the Tour de France is um, in, in how it looms so large in the cycling season that as soon as anyone shows the slightest hint of, of GC uh, promise that they're kind of off to, uh, bang their head against the brick wall 
brick wall that is the Tour de France. Yes, and that's a really great the rest way to of their it. career. Yeah, and it's 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 unfortunate because there's something to be said for going out and taking on a grand tour that is is you know that a rider has a good shot at actually winning. Yeah, or even you know um, any of like of the week long experience. stage races out there. That is like a um, nice step, you know. I mean, that's the thing about like before Wiggins won the tour, he practiced winning bike races. Yeah, I mean that was also kind of a build thing because they were actually targeting the tour though. Yeah. Versus kind of seeing them as as a kind of a goal in their own right. But I mean, the example that comes to mind um, for me is Andy Schleck, honestly, where in two thousand seven he went um, as still a relatively new rider, still a young rider. Um, you know, 21 years old, did the Giro and ended up second place um, <laughs> behind Donnie Ludeluk. <laughs> so, ah, yes, 2007. What a year. It was a heady time. Uh, <laughs> it was a heady time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, from from then on, um, you know, never went back and in, in took a swing at winning the Giro. Uh, and himself, I think, never seemed super interested in that. Well, to be uh, fair, Andy Schleck like, never was... seems super interested in bike racing in general. Oh, I think that's a little unfair. Yeah, uh, I think I think he was into it, but um, you know, he was—I uh, don't know. Th- that notwithstanding, um, you, you saw actually. I thought it was refreshing that um, Movistar, when Quintana showed such promise uh, in 2013, said, "Okay, next year you're going to the Giro." Yeah. And uh, you're going to win the Giro, and you're not going to the Tour. And they stuck to their guns on that. And he went to the Giro, and he won the Giro, and he didn't race the Tour. And he he was a little grouchy about it. <laughs> in fact, not go in, in the not going to the Tour part. I mean, he wasn't grouchy about winning the Giro. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that was a, that was I think something that would have been good for Schleck to do. Yeah. For example, or or you know a Robert Hessink or whatever. Um, to go and actually win a Grand Tour, or, mm-hmm. or at least you know, <laughs> take a solid swing at it before, because the Tour de France is just such a meat grinder. I feel compelled to chime in here and say that Robert Gessing's nickname is the Condor of Varseveld. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> I need a nickname, the Hobbit of Hyde Park. Or something. <laughs> the the gerbil. The hamster of Hyde Park. <laughs> the hamster. I am the hamster. Fear me. <laughs> I will stuff my cheeks full of seeds. <laughs> I have to figure mm. out what uh, hamster is in other languages. Let's see. Hamster Amster. in Spanish is amster. <laughs> yeah. In Italian, it's uh, either cricchetto or cricchetto. Yeah. Yeah, in French it's probably no cricetto. Um, Excuse me, I always forget how to do the C's in Italian. You need more extravagance. Cricetto, cricetto. I shouldn't have to tell you that. It's you in French. The... It's amster. 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 <laughs> oh my god, what is happening to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Why I I ran uh, French, German, Italian. Spanish and why is Italian the only one that has basically not the word hamster as the translation of hamster? Right. Because Italy is more exciting and flamboyant. Let's try du- ah, Dutch also hamster. Ah, oh. Portuguese. 
Grichetto again. Interesting. Huh. The working man's honest Google Translate program. Yeah. Lang- language is fast. Icelandic. Amster. <laughs> yeah, you do have to say that in a very deep voice. Amster. <laughs> a, a deep blonde voice. <laughs> Catalan. They have <laughs> Catalan. Amster. Okay, maybe let's... <laughs> the people want to hear a show about bikes. Can I still call you the hamster of Hyde Park? Uh, if you want. As long as you're not... I just think like, it's better than Hobbit. Make fun of me. It is better than Hobbit. Hobbit. I like the hamster of Hyde Park. It is better than, is better than Hobbit. And also, you know, I think the Tolkien estate won't go after me. <laughs> so, hey, if we want to wrench this thing back to bike racing, we could point out that... Uh, this weekend are the world championships in richmond virginia yes that's right i can't believe it's so soon (laughs) me neither it's probably in fact it's starting gosh if this episode comes out on wednesday or thursday it could be starting today any day now any day now we'll be racing some yeah we'll be watching some some stuff yeah are you excited about having the worlds in richmond because i'm pretty excited about it i think the thing that i'm really excited about is that the course looks ridiculous it's... Oh, I need to actually, like, now that the race is, like, a day away or whatever, need to actually, like, look at the course in more detail. I know there's, like, cobblestones and some little hills or whatever. It's, like, a 16-kilometer circuit race all, like, through downtown. There's a ton of turns. There are these, like, punchy climbs. It's it's pretty ridiculous. It looks, you know, obviously there's there's not, like, there are no little ring climbs, you know? Sure, yeah. These, well, I'm, I'm looking it up right yeah. now. I want to get a better idea of what we're looking at. There are so these like like 50-meter kickers. 50-meter in elevation gain, not uh, distance. But it, it you look at the map, and it looks like they're laying out a Kermis or some elongated oh, criteria. Oh, yeah. Wow, look at this. Oh, this is crazy it's pants. crazy. Oh, my goodness. I'm pumped. Oh, that is wild. What's the What's the blue line? I don't know. That's a little confusing. That's a little confusing. Do they have a parade? Oh, maybe they have like a, a, a... Oh, yeah, they start at the University of Richmond, and I guess they go to the downtown circus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is like... There's a bunch of like places where it's they're going one side of the road in one way, and they do like a 180. Basically. And like, they come what? back the other way. What the hell? And then the other, oh, the, the other thing that I'm super pumped about, in addition to like watching the racing on this crazy course, is that the, the American women's team is like the deepest, most baller american team ever i think yeah okay so so let's just take a look at this team we'll, we'll look at the road team specifically because this is crazy all right so first of all 10 10 riders which is awesome mm-hmm. uh and okay let's just go through some names all right so we've got Kristen armstrong we've got she, she's Allie. she's got like a couple like olympic medals to her name yeah, I, I've, I've, I think I've heard of her before. Yeah. We've got uh, Ali Dragu. We've got uh, Megan Garnier. Um, is that how you say it? Where's it? Garnier? That's Garnier. Garnish. Uh, Garnish. Um, all right, Lauren Kamansky, uh, Shelly Olds, Corinne Rivera, which I'm super excited about, Carmen Small, mm-hmm. uh, Lauren Stevens, Evie Stevens, of course, yeah. uh, and Taylor Wiles. Like, oh, man. It is, and you've got, it's this nice combination of, like big engine riders uh like kristen armstrong and evie stevens um 
you know, Carmen Small, uh, and and really, really world class sprinters like Shelly Olds and and Corinne uh, Rivera. I'm super super excited about. Yeah, it'll like, it'll it would be really cool, you know. So she dominates the domestic crit scene. It'll be cool to see what she could do on a. You know, high profile. Yeah, it'll be cool. So I think she might still be a little bit young and inexperienced. But on the other hand, I don't know. This is the kind of course where, so so, you know, when you actually look at it, it is kind of punchy, and and this is the sort of thing that um, she's good at. Is like, yeah, she she can win crits too, obviously big crits. But um, she's really good at doing like hard road races and then out sprinting everyone at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's what Worlds is. That's, it's yeah. It's not a sprint like, you know, it's not like uh, even when something is, is quote-unquote, you know, a sprinter's uh, world championships, for the most part, it's, you know, it's still a really long road race. Mm-hmm. Um, and Very attrition-based. And, and very attrition-based, right. And and you've got to then sprint at the end. And there's a climb, you know, a, a, a definite uh, climb toward the finish line. The, you know what this makes me think of a lot is um, 2010 in Australia in Geelong. Yes, that uh, that was the one that Torhushoft won, right? That was the one that Torhushoft won. That's right. Where you know it, it similarly, you know, was kind of um, that one in particular. I think people build it for sprinters and underestimated the extent that to which it was really um, a course for um, kind of classics, like hard, you know, strong riders who could also sprint. And that's what I think this Richmond course is. Yeah, I think so. It's too. also technical as hell, and that's the thing. Yeah, it's like this is just going to be one of those races that requires people to keep their heads up for two hundred and seventy kilometers. What are we talking about here? Well, the for the men it's two hundred and fifty nine point two, okay, uh, and for the women it's one hundred and twenty nine point six. Yeah, it's but like so. it's it's a heads up race, a lot of turning. You know, a, a lot of world champ courses they'll have like a big like hundred kilometer like snooze fest circuit and then they'll enter like the final circuits yeah and this is just like boom we're gonna be hanging out here in downtown for a few hours let's get it on yeah yeah so are you uh are you making the trip down to richmond virginia i am not i would like to but you know vacation time and priorities and all that stuff yeah i it yeah it I would really like to, you know. I mean, how many times is are the World Championships going to be in uh, in the United States? Yeah, not for r- roughly another uh, thirty years yeah. by the current, <laughs> based on when the last one in the United States was. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm, but I'm kind of in the same boat where, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, I was I was gung ho, like I am definitely going to go because Richmond is, you know, it's uh, probably about a ten hour drive. Well, okay, maybe it's a bit more than that. You might go though. Is that what like, you're saying? Is it, did you just say that? No, no, no. Oh, I'm okay. not going to go. But I was, I was, I was, I was kind of thinking strongly about it. Mm-hmm. No, it, it might actually be about ten. It's like ten to twelve hour drive it's from a, here, it's which a ways, is yeah. Which is, but that's like you can do it. You know, it, it, it's 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 the kind of thing where I, I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll you know um, drive down and uh, probably get a camping site instead of a hotel room or something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then as it was getting closer and like I needed to actually consider like planning this <laughs> sort of thing, um, you know, it just, it just began to seem kind of overwhelming relative to like, like 
let's be honest. Um, it is like a once in a lifetime thing. It is super exciting, but um, I, I, I really think road racing is better to watch on TV for the most part. No, the atmosphere is not there. Like, I get that. Like, like it's a different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say like, oh, you know, you're not going to have a good time if you go and see it in person. No, obviously that's better. But it, like, it's you know, and I, I want to race Gloucester here, and uh, which is on the same weekend as the elite races, which is really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, it just the scheduling is all messed up as far as everything else, and yeah, taking vacation priorities, and so it's you know, it costs money to do these things. So this time, unlike unlike when the Cyclocross World Championships were in the USA, um, you know, it's can't really do it. Yeah, sometimes you're ready when, to like, yeah, pack a bag and flee town at a moment's notice, and sometimes you're not. Well, you know, it was so easy um, when Cyclocross Worlds was in Louisville because I was living in Nashville at the time. <sighs> so so jelly. <laughs> I know. Not about so, the living in Nashville per se, but well, Nashville's a good okay. town. But it was it was it was two and a half hour drive, you know. So it was like you'd be stupid not to go. Um, well, no, I mean seriously though. Yeah. But there's such a there's such a big difference between like driving for a couple of hours and you know especially since you know it turned out to be a day trip. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, like driving for a couple hours versus driving, you know, for a day. Yeah, no, effectively. it's 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 huge. So yeah, it's 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 pretty big. So, alas, I won't be there, but I will be there in spirit. I think it's uh, pretty exciting, and you know, hopefully, it will be back sooner than um, than thirty years. I it'd be nice to it. Yeah, I'm. It's got to be, right? Like the UCI wants to see international bike racing happen in the United States. Yeah. And, you know, the question is just whether or not a promoter is up for it. Yeah, it's true. Well, we'll see. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what, we could we could uh, put together one heck of a course in uh, Western Massachusetts. Oh my God, we could. That would be a, that would be a climber's race for sure. They wouldn't even know they weren't in Europe, except that, you know, there are more cows, I guess. They'd think that they were in the Ardennes. Yeah. Yeah. Be be great. Be great. Brian uh, Cookson, are you listening? Brian Cookson. Brian Cookson's um, probably listening. Yeah, of course he is. Well, he's too busy not shaving to be listening, maybe, but he's he's listening. He's a man after my own heart with an <laughs> Brian, represent. Uh, and and you know if you want to talk about uh, setting up uh, a world's uh, road race here in Massachusetts, um, give me a ring. I'll see what I can. We do. We got some good ideas. We got some some punchy old climbs. We got some dirt roads. You never know. Yeah, we got a great great host city, uh, Northampton, Massachusetts. Very cute. Very very cute. Very picturesque. All right. Well, uh, I think that is our show for this week. That about wraps it up. Alrighty, uh, so I've been Greg. You can <laughs> talk to me. I'm still Greg, actually, but on this show, I assumed the identity of Greg, a podcaster. You can contact me on Twitter at Grolby. And uh, how about you, Mattio? You can find me at underscore Mattio, M A T T I O. You can also tweet at program at underscore WHBP. 
That's right. You can email us too. Honestbikeprogram at gmail.com. You can tell us how smart we are and how handsome and uh, about all of our good ideas I, and how sounds, you like them. That's a great idea. You should do, you should do that. Yeah, and you you know leave a review on iTunes that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Just just covering the whole the whole gamut of uh, ways in which you can boost. Oh, they can. They, uh, Greg, don't forget they can like us on Facebook. They can like us on Facebook. Have I? Boy, I'm not sure I've ever mentioned that on this program, and, and maybe we should. We have a Facebook group. Uh, do a search for Working Man's Honest Bike Program. That's what you'll find. And hit the hit that like button. Like away. The internet. Uh, yeah, the internet. All right, well, once again, uh, we have to thank you for listening and then uh, bid you adieu. And we'll catch you next time. Good night. Good night.